Hey, you guys. This is Haley, associate producer at the Webby Awards. Going into this new year, do you have any project goals or cool work you've accomplished that you would love to show off, such as creative online games, unique websites, that really nice TikTok account, or that Substack newsletter you cannot stop reading? At a time like this, it's so easy to think what you would look like in Web 3.0. So I'm sure you or a friend are great at making work on today's internet. If so, I'm here to tell you that there is still a bit more time to enter your work into the 26th Annual Webby Awards, where it'll be seen from the most talented people on the internet. The extended entry deadline is Friday, February 11th. This year, we have a ton of new ways to honor your work this year, including new categories for email newsletters, podcast, social, and even installation experience. Visit webbyawards.com to learn more. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. We don't integrate, we recreate. Together, we can stop hate. Your best advocate is you. Smart tools inform smart voters. Hey there, and welcome back. We have a special episode for you today. Over the past two years, our team at The Webbies has been working to better support BIPOC creators and communities. As part of that effort, we developed a long-term partnership with the NAACP with the goal of shining a spotlight on this community of creators who are using the internet for social justice work. To continue this partnership, we launched an event series called Unpacked, Essentials for an Inclusive Internet. Each event gathers thought leaders to explore the most pressing issues facing communities of color online with the objective to provide action steps we can take as an industry to work toward building a more inclusive and equitable internet. The internet is an important tool to secure spaces for creativity, community, and connect people to resources. But digital spaces still struggle with really big issues like how to regulate misinformation and disinformation campaigns that target vulnerable communities, communities of color in particular. Our first Unpacked event dives into some of these issues. In a roundtable discussion with Shi Shi Yang, an award-winning journalist and founder of XYZ Media, and Vanessa M. Bonu, VP of Digital Marketing Communications at the NAACP, along with Claire Graves, Webby president. We start with Claire asking Shi Shi Yang about the biggest ways she's seen the AAPI community impacted by misinformation online in the last two years. What are the biggest ways that you've seen the AAPI community impacted by disinformation online? 2020 was such a wake-up call, especially to so many members of the AAPI community. Not only were we fighting against misinformation of all the negative stigma of the phrase, the China virus, as coined by our former president, along with all the hate, misinformation um, surrounding the origin of the virus, how the virus was brought forth, and how the virus spreads. There were a lot of mis- uh, misinformation amongst members of the AAPI community, predominantly surrounding politics, surrounding the elections, surrounding the vaccine. And I think it really comes down to the dissemination of news. Working as a journalist, I've seen firsthand how different minority groups choose to receive news differently and how information is spread differently for AAPI communities, for instance, as opposed to reading it from mainstream 
mainstream media, reading it from AP, CNN, different outlets. Many of them choose to go on social media platforms to receive their news. And I know Facebook and Twitter has started to regulate the spread of misinformation. Um, but when it comes to platforms like WeChat, there has yet to be any regulation setting place. And there's about 1.2 billion users on WeChat alone. And WeChat is actually the number one platform where many AAPI members are getting their news from. Mm, so fascinating. I can't wait to delve into some of that stuff with you in terms of politics. Vanessa, in a similar vein, what are some of the ways you've seen the Black community impacted by misinformation or disinformation online? I mean, um, the impact of misinformation and disinformation has been just absolutely catastrophic for um, communities, especially Black communities and other communities of colour. It dates as far back as the internet, honestly. Um, it dates even further back than that, but I feel like with social media and the internet, it's very easy to spread information, but it's not as easy to vet that information. And so whether we're talking about the coronavirus, whether we're talking about elections, whether we're talking about sports, celebrity news, it's so easy to just see a whole bunch of junk and people co-signing it. And you know, there's just not enough of vetting and there's not enough, enough of authenticity and authority on the internet to really curtail this. And so um, I'm very, very proud of people like Gigi and organizations like the NAACP that work double time to sort of like provide information and resources from credible people um, and, and let people decide for themselves. Um, but yeah, it's been catastrophic for our communities. I think we saw it exacerbated in 2016 even, and then again in 2020. And look at us now, we're in 2022 and we're still talking about it. Um, so it's, it's absolutely had an enormous impact, but we are definitely fighting back on it. Last week was the anniversary of January 6th insurrection, which was led by the former president and his voter disinformation campaign. And we are continuing to see the knock-on effects of this. It was part of a wide discussion that was happening last week, which marked the anniversary. Shishi, disinformation circulating within the AAPI community was a big topic during the election. Can you talk more about ways you've seen the rise of fake news impact the community? And let's talk a little bit more about the social platforms that you've seen it on. Absolutely. Um, I've seen so much misinformation being spread on WeChat, WhatsApp, some of the social media platforms. And um, a lot of them are honestly, it starts out as a photoshopped article. And um, I think as a millennial, I think we take it for granted that a lot of us are savvy enough to tell when the font of a title is a little bit off or the date is crooked or the author doesn't exist. We know how to Google. We know how to search for real doctors, whether they're licensed, what their credit abilities are. And I always encourage every single person to do their research. But when it comes to misinformation um, in the AAPI community, you know, unfortunately, it has led to a magnitude in rise of uh, anti-Asian sentiment hate crimes. And it breaks my heart to see that um, I think anti-Asian violence in 2020 rose by 87%, which is so heartbreaking to see. When you take into consideration that more than half of all hate crimes are not reported by members of the AAPI community out of fear for retaliation, out of fear for causing more trouble, or maybe it's the language barrier. So misinformation and to me, ultimately, it's dangerous. It's digital warfare and it costs lives. And for us, I think every single one of us, we have a sense of responsibility, not just to 
you know, not just to um, not take it seriously. Uh, we, we have to uh, inform even our family members of how to properly vet the articles they're reading, the news that they're consuming to make sure that, you know, to make sure that um, we are getting the right facts. What, what types of stories did you see circulating during the election? During the election, um, because AAPI communities, many of the members tend to be one issue voters where they make a decision on a candidate based off of a single issue. There were a lot of keywords in there to purposely manipulate the groups to vote one way or the other. For instance, um, I'm Chinese American. A lot of my fellow Chinese Americans, uh, you know, they come from a communist country. And they do not want America to turn into a communist country. That's their biggest fear. Um, And there was just a lot of uh, phrases like communism, socialism being being spread around irresponsibly. And I think a lot of those issues have caused this deep mistrust amongst AAPI members across multiple institutions like politics, media, healthcare, right? And it's it's dangerous because when we're dealing with COVID and we still have a percentage of members of our community refusing to get vaccinated because they think, um, you know, they, they don't believe in the vaccine. To me, that's ludicrous, right? It's science and we have to believe in medicine. Yes, that is something that we should believe. Yeah. <laughs> So is this so the stories that are circulating at the moment, the misinformation stories, is that really around, you know, that uh, around the science to do with COVID, or is there other stories that are kind of prevalent at the moment as well? It's uh, usually stories about COVID, uh, stories about President Biden, stories about um, <laughs> you name it. I mean, <laughs> the web is a dark, dark place. <laughs> A lot of things I've never even, um, a lot of things I've never even uh, thought of, you know, um, uh, the whole QAnon phenomenon that was huge in the Asian American community because we have, uh, you know, we're very family oriented communities and, um, you know, a lot of mothers got sucked in by using the hashtag save the children, right? It seems so harmless. Everyone wants to save children. But then when you start reading into it, you find out that's actually a way for QAnon to penetrate through minority communities. Vanessa, similarly, through the 2020 election and beyond, Black and Latino voters were also flooded with disinformation campaigns. One example, as you said, was the example from 2016 with the Blacktivist Facebook group launched by a Russian group. Um, Can you touch on how disinformation online has impacted Black and Brown voters during the election and after the election? When it comes to Black voters in the election, the first number one obstacle that we have are just voter suppression laws. There are numerous voter ID laws that are suppressive in nature. There are, you know, discrepancies with polling places and things like that. And so the odds are already stacked against our community when it comes to voting. And I think that the people who are purposely going online to spread this misinformation and disinformation, I think the the big thing that we see, the big, um, pardon my terminology, but the elephant in the room is Donald Trump. But there are, there are bad actors all over and they are on Facebook and they were saying things like, oh, well, you don't even need to register to vote. Just like send a text to this number and that's it. And people, people would believe that. And so that number one prevented access to the ballot. And then once people got to the ballot, there were things that were like, oh, if you're in line past this time, then you can't even vote and so on and so forth. And so 
from every angle, the Black community is really being targeted. And I think the number one thing that stuck out in the 2020 election um, was this notion that 14% of Black men voted for um, Donald Trump. And this was a number that was being touted all over the place, not just online, but also by the media. And then the headline will have you think that, oh, well, um, Black men are sort of like pulling away from the group and Black men are the reason why, you know, Trump might get in office. And it's like, first of all, where are you getting that number from? <laughs> and second of all, if that means 86% are not, you know, what other demographic is giving you numbers in 86%? That's still a huge number. And so I always tell people, number one, where did you get that from? Where is your news source? Who wrote it? Who vetted it? And okay, what about the other side of the story? And so I think with elections, it's usually always the voter suppression. It's always they're trying to take our vote away from us, whether it's stopping us from getting to the ballot box in the first place, or it's purposely spreading misinformation to sort of divide and conquer. And so I really, really stress that people, when they are, you know, thinking about who to vote for and thinking about, um, you know, how to just get ready for election day, it's super important to not only watch like the mainstream news, but local elections are just as important. And so don't just get it from one source, get it from three sources. If three sources are saying the same thing, then okay, you're on the right track. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then also don't, don't go to the obvious source that is biased. You know, you want unbiased information. You never want people, you never want someone to tell you who exactly to vote for. You want people to tell you about the platforms. And then you are the only person that knows what's important to you. Don't ever allow other people to speak for you. And so those are just some of the ways in which we try to help our communities make better and better decisions, informed decisions, and not try to sway them in any one way, but also knowing that there are people that are just waiting, like waiting to prowl and to divide our communities when it comes to politics, to policies, when it comes to candidates, and to just not get sucked into any of that. So talking about policy and candidates, what are some of the efforts that the NAACP has taken from policymaking, edu educational standpoint to combat the spread of misinformation? Um, absolutely. We are targeting everyone who is a foul player. And so I believe it was 2018. <laughs> Thank you. I believe it was 2018 where we really called out Facebook um, for the role that they played in the 2016 elections and just spreading misinformation. Um, if you remember the Cambridge Analytica hack, it, it came out that Facebook actually knew of this way um, longer than they had led us to believe. And so we called them out on that. We had a digital protest where we asked people to sort of log out from Facebook, um, even if it was just for a day, even if it was for a week, until Facebook really addressed these concerns and, you know, stepped up their game to protect um, Black communities and other communities of, of color, because we are the most vulnerable online and we were the ones that were targeted the most. And so from that protest, Facebook did put together a civil rights um, sort of look and they, they put out some statements still not enough, <laughs> um, but we definitely went right at, we went right at the source. And then we are also always, always, you know, talking, asking people to demand um, laws and policies from their elected officials, make access to the ballot box easier, you know, not harder. So that all of these things that we see on Facebook, and I, I am an immigrant myself, it's WhatsApp is where all the stuff goes down. <laughs> um, so that these distractions are, are, are less, are less, I would say, 
what's the word I'm looking for, <laughs> are just less destructive to our communities. First, let's get to the ballot box. Let's be able to do that. And then when we get there, then we can talk about, you know, candidates and all, and all that. And then we also provide platforms for these candidates to come and speak and, and speak to our community. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's great to go to CNN. It's great to go to MSNBC or the BBC, but you know, what about the NAACP? What about, you know, the local grassroots organization here and there, like come talk to these people directly so that no one else can, you know, take your words and switch them. You talking, you're talking to black people and then we give them a platform to ask questions. And so those are just some of the ways we've been able to, you know, cut off um, access to, like I said, the foul players, giving people the opportunity to ask the questions for themselves and hear it from themselves firsthand direct from the horse's mouth to make informed decisions. Yes. And and NAACP can be one of those unbiased places for information like you were talking about, that people can come to you uh, to find the information. Exactly, exactly. So let's move on and talk to a little bit about the pandemic. We know that health inequalities have left certain communities more vulnerable to getting the virus and receiving adequate treatment. At the same time, we've really seen misinformation and disinformation particularly impact black communities during the pandemic, especially when it comes to finding real facts about the virus, vaccines and healthcare. Vanessa, where have you seen the spread of COVID-19 and vaccine misinformation target black communities online? Um, it's everywhere. It's it's on it. Like I said, WhatsApp is usually the number one culprit of um, bad information. Um, you see it on Twitter and you see it on Facebook. The thing about Twitter and Facebook and Instagram now is that they have um, sort of these monitors that tell you and they, they push you towards a COVID-19 resource and information center. But I remember it was early back as like January, February, 2020, when we were still trying to grab a hold of what exactly is COVID-19, how serious is it? We thought we were going to be in lockdown for about like two weeks. It was a huge thing on Twitter where a lot of Black people were like, oh, well, we can't, we can't get the virus. Like we, we're somehow immune to the virus. And it's like, no, you're not immune to it. The reason why you're not seeing people test positive for COVID-19 is because there is no testing in our communities. <laughs> that is why. Um, and so, and, and, and up until about like April or May or so, the CDC was not releasing any like race related information and data. And so someone said, oh, black people can't get COVID-19 and it just spread like wildfire. And again, it goes back to what I was saying, where are you getting your information from? And what is the reason? What is the reason for that headline? Um, and so it really took a lot of work to get testing kits into the black community, you know, to get these numbers reported, to really get trusted messengers. And, you know, when you're hearing, you know, the president say things like the Chinese flu and, and things like that, it's really confusing. And, and this was a time when scientists themselves were still also trying to get a hold of it. And so I think that was the number one place where I saw, you know, black people just not truly understanding how the, this virus could impact our community until the numbers started to get released. And we were seeing that actually it disproportionately affected Black people because we were heavily represented in the um, essential workers. And so we were actually contracting COVID-19 and dying from it at, at, at higher rates. And then 
when I, what I call phase two of the pandemic, I don't know what phase we're in right now. <laughs> like when vaccines came out, and it girl. Was, it's like, I, I feel like we're going to be in this thing for a while based off what I see online. But, um, it was phase two of the pandemic when the vaccines came out and we're like, Oh, this vaccine came out way too early. No, 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 no. Like I can't do this. Um, then people would bring up the Tuskegee, um, the Tuskegee experiment, what they didn't have the, the the full story or the full knowledge of actually what happened during Tuskegee. It wasn't that we were getting, you know, injected with things. It was like we were just not getting anything. And so, again, it's a lot of relearning and like reteaching history. And then it's like this source, this person that is giving you this information. What do they have to gain, and what do they have to lose from from telling you this? And so, again, um, groups like I don't want to just keep you know, promoting, but groups like the NAACP, local organizations, grassroots organizations, health community, health organizations were continuously putting out information and resources and giving data so that people can see from them for themselves, you know, well, how long does it actually take to make a vaccine? And why is this vaccine um, coming out a lot quicker? Well, because the whole world has put money towards it. Like it stopped our whole world. And so this is kind of the priority right now. That's why it's coming out so fast. If we put this behind, if we put this much effort and this much resources behind other vaccines, they would have the same turnaround time as well. And so now it's with the booster shots and what people are calling it and the Omicron, which, you know, people are calling the Omarion and, you know, mass and things like that. And so I think we're in like phase three, three and a half of the pandemic. And so now that we have convinced people to get the, the, the vaccines, now it's like, okay, get your booster. You know, you, you do actually get boosters for other vaccines. You know, you get a flu shot every year. It's not that different. So it's just a constant, you know, reteaching and, and relearning for people in our community. But I think it's important to be devoted to the work because, you know, these fears aren't coming out of nowhere. They're, some of them are substantiated, substantiated, and it's up to us to really provide information, not propaganda, but information. So you spoke a little bit about what the NAACP is doing, but we've been reading about the COVID No More campaign. Do yes. you want to tell us a little bit about that and um, what you all have been doing? Yeah, so the COVID No More campaign is really for the Black community. It's like an all-in-one resource center to find out everything you need to know about the virus and also what are, how our communities are feeling about it as well. And so it's, it's kind of twofold. It helps the Black community. It also helps, you know, scientists and researchers. And we take a bunch of data. We do a lot of polling. And so we're seeing how the Black community is feeling towards the vaccine. And so we're seeing that, okay, 64%, 74% of Black people think they're going to get the vaccine. Okay, that means we need to do more work um, to get it up to 100 or like 90s. If we're seeing that, oh, this percent of Black people have had a booster shot, then it's like, okay, what communities can we go to? And then, you know, it also provides a platform for people to find, you know, their nearest vaccine um, clinic. When, it, when we first launched COVID No More, we didn't want to tell people outright, you know, go do this, go get a vaccine, go get a shot. No, we really Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. really wanted to provide them with the information for them to make 
a, a knowledgeable and an informed decision themselves as you know we got out of phase 1.5 and <laughs> we got to phase two we were really seeing that you know the numbers were the number of infections were going down and you know there was the 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 vaccine got fda approved versus fda authorized and so we were like you know it's time it's time to actually do take the vaccine you know it's time to get your shot whether you decide which shot you want to take but it's time to get a shot this is what the the new this is what the scientists are saying about um, the booster shots and, and, and along with the written data and the polls and the researching, we also hosted virtual town halls again to provide that direct line between scientists and doctors and policymakers and the Black communities themselves, so they can come and ask these questions. And you would be surprised the questions that we get, but it's super important. It's super important for people to be able to feel like, well. Vanessa, you are the vice president of digital marketing. Okay, you don't have a science degree. I want to talk to someone with a science degree who looks like me. I want to hear what they're saying. And so we found that those virtual town halls have been really, really helpful just to kind of like calm some of those fears and really answer some of those questions. And also for us to understand and hear the reasons why people might have been apprehensive in the first place. Shishi, why don't you tell us a little bit about the um, misinformation and the COVID pandemic within the AAPI community as well? Oh my goodness, ladies, where do I start? First, let's start with the vaccine, right? There are so many Asian Americans, predominantly Chinese Americans. I speak Mandarin, so I'm seeing all the WeChat, WhatsApp messages. They refuse to get the vaccine because they feel like there is a tracker being implanted in their body. <laughs> And I'm just like, how, right? <laughs> where, where is a scannable device? <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, fear mongering, false information going on saying if you get COVID vaccine, um, you know, you're going it, to, it's like some sort of a tracker in your body that the government can activate during any time, make you even sicker, have control over you. It seriously sounds like a really bad sci-fi film. <laughs> so there's been so much misinformation surrounding that. Um, and I think, uh, thankfully, I think many members of the AAPI community, when COVID started happening, I don't think they doubted the uh, doubted the importance of a pandemic because a lot of them are so dialed in to their colleagues in Asia. There were some scientists back in China who were the original whistleblowers when COVID-19 started happening. So, so they were able to see that firsthand. I remember my mom um, calling me even in the fall of 2019 saying there's something going on over there. Of course, I didn't know if that information was real, but Alas, you know, she was able to stock up on face masks and Clorox before everything else happened. So um, I think the Asian community is pretty dialed in on the importance of the pandemic. But unfortunately, when it comes to preventative measures like getting the vaccine, it just it has not been communicated correctly. And there's such a big distrust because in China, the media organization, there's only one and it's obviously state controlled media. Right. So over here, there's a lot of big trust for major um, media institutions uh, and even um, even across media, even CDC. You know, there's a huge population of Asian communities who don't believe in the CDC guidelines because they think uh, they think somehow the Chinese government is involved with the CDC, giving them money back and forth, yada, yada, yada. So there's a lot of 
there's a lot of distrust. And I think uh, for a long time, I always encourage my generation of AAPI members, right? Because our parents tend to have language barriers. They came over here, my generation. I really encourage everyone to start conversations at home, you know, to get the conversation started, to just not ignore everyone. Listen, we all have, we all have an auntie. We all have an uncle. We've got grandparents. We have someone who's absorbing false information. And in the beginning, we may laugh it off and think, ah, that's so funny. They really believe that. That's so funny. But when they feel more and more isolated, when they have no one to have a conversation with about these thoughts, about these false information, that's when they dig in deeper into the dark web. So I think everything starts at home. Yeah, absolutely. And can I just add to that? Um, because my, my mother is one of those people that gets the conspiracy theories, <laughs> you know, the texting on the WhatsApp and she'll send them to me. And I, a lot of times I never responded, but now I'm like, I have a role to play in this. And I'm like, mom, literally stop. You're embarrassing me. Like, wow. <laughs> Where did you get this from? You know, there's no context to it. Why are you believing this, this chain mail, essentially? Why are, you, why are you, like, did you do the extra research? Like, you know, you can't just be out here spreading this and sending it to people because, you know, like, I obviously, where I work and, and the work that I do, I know that it's false, but who's to say the next person would? And so I think now I put, I kind of put a little bit of fear in her <laughs> that she, she stops and pauses before, you know, she sends stuff along, but particularly what you were talking about, Shishi, with, you know, just people being hesitant to take the the vaccine or the booster for whatever reason, you know, and, and it's just being spread like wildfire. I saw Facebook posts the other day from, from, a, from a former classmate of mine, we went to high school together. And she was essentially saying, you know, the vaccine doesn't work. I had COVID and I was fine and blah, 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 blah. And I was very triggered. <laughs> I had my, I had crafted my response. I was ready to have my Twitter fingers going. I was like, you know what? Stop, relax, you know, remember who you are and save it for the group chat. And so I did post my response in the group chat, but what I ended up doing is I just reported that post for false information because these tools do exist. They exist on pretty much any social media platform out there, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I believe even Snapchat, they all have tools for you to, you know, report misinformation. Like, let's let them handle it. Let's, them, let's let them vet it. This is their job. And so let them handle it because that kind of back and forth does not really, it doesn't really solve anything because when someone has their, their mind made up on something, it just turns into a political debate. And this is when the experts really need to come in and like, Thankfully, like I said, these COVID-19 resource and information centers exist for a reason. There are real people behind them. There are real people vetting them. There are scientists and so on and so forth. And so I just really, I had to add to that. <laughs> Sorry. Vanessa, that is such a great point. And I also want to include that I want everyone to be aware of the filter that we individually have when we are consuming information, right? In journalism, it's called confirmation bias, which is you only read articles and you only interpret stories and you form your own narratives based on what you already believe in. So when you're reading something that is factual, but it goes against your belief system, you disregard it as false information. You somehow connect the dots in your own narrative 
narrative filtered perspective that is so your mind can reject the information, right? Because even with um, the tremendous work that Facebook and Twitter has done in vetting the information, putting out the right facts for a lot of AAPI members, they don't believe in it. You know, when they see a little ticker and they see their friends accounts getting banned left and right, they think it's, you know, limiting their freedom of speech. The U.S. is being turning to a communist China. They can't speak the truth. And I'm just like, guys, please, like, (laughs) can we just wake up here? (laughs) Even though this article may not be, you know, you might not think it's real, but still give it a shot. Right. Read it to at least interpret for yourself. And a lot of the false information can be so triggering because they purposely write it in such a um, biased tone with a lot of, uh, with a lot of um, emotional words. Mm -hmm. I always say bad grammar, incorrect sentences and emotional words, and a lot of exclamation marks. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So when you see something that is so um, emotional, almost like it's pushing a specific agenda, not giving you two sides. That's when you have to step away and be like, wait, is my truth news.org is that a legitimate organization? You know, cause everyone, everyone can have a website and, and, you know, I've always said lies spread so much quicker than truth. That's exactly right. And the other thing about jumping in on posts and being and 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 having you craft you have crafted your post and gotten it ready to comment back, but actually by doing that and providing engagement on the post, you're putting it higher up the algorithm. Exactly. People are going exactly. to it as well. So that's a great point to just hit that it's not it's misinformation and let the platforms deal with it. Absolutely. Well, talking about that, I think that, you know, we should maybe move on to a discussion about efforts to combat misinformation, because one of the things that we really set out to do with this series together uh, with the NAACP is talk about real takeaways that people can get from our series in terms of what they can do in their lives to address the things that we're discussing. So maybe we can start with you, Vanessa. How are you tackling misinformation in policy in, in your policy efforts at the NAACP, uh, as well as educational campaigns? Yeah, so we're doing it on two different fronts, the offensive and the defensive. I always love a sports analogy, even though I know nothing about sports. <laughs> um, um, so the offensive is, you know, we are going after the, the people who spread misinformation themselves. We have the Stop Hate for Profit Coalition that specifically, you know, goes after corporations like Facebook for not doing enough really to protect um, their users, particularly their users of color online against hate speech, against misinformation, you know, against all of this stuff that's going on, whether it be for COVID-19, whether it be for elections, whether it just be from pushing forward stereotypes in general that negatively affects the black community. Um, and then on the defensive side, we're doing these things where we are, you know, spreading resources, like I said, uh, resources, information panels such as this, um, such as the teletown halls or the virtual town halls. And, you know, giving people a platform to, you know, spread information, spread resources for hosting um, um, vaccine clinics and booster clinics, but also allowing our communities as well to ask the questions and not feel sort of like judged or because it's sometimes it's 
we're, we're talking as if these are really, well, why don't you just get it? Why don't you just understand? It's, it's not always like that. Um, allowing people to ask questions in, such a, in sort of like a judgment-free zone and really come forward with their hesitancies and seeing while other people are also having these hesitations and explaining through why and so on and so forth. And so that's sort of the, some of the things that we're working on. We're also working with, you know, legislators to make sure that all this information isn't, there is a digital divide, it's not everyone's online. And so like, what can we do more to have these sort of resources and information in our local communities, um, whether it be again for COVID-19 or for, or for voting um, and just sort of like tackling these, you know, hesitancies. Like I said, if you don't believe um, the, the vaccine works, but you believe the test that tells you you have COVID. It's like, those are both science. And so, you know, let's talk about it a little bit more. Like here are three different resources. And so that's, that's one thing I say is number one, if you're ever unsure about something and it's very easy to say, oh, do your research, go on Google, but make sure you're getting it from at least three different sources and three different unrelated sources. That's, that's the key. And then number two, if you have a question, ask it. There is really no such thing as a stupid question. If you have a question, ask it and make sure you're asking it to the right person. Don't ask it to Vanessa Mbano on Facebook. You know, don't ask it to Jane Doe on WeChat or whatever. You know, ask it to someone who's actually accredited to give you an answer and always get a second opinion as well. And so, you know, we only have one life to live. Ultimately, people are being people are hesitant because they want to protect themselves. Just make sure you're protecting yourself in the best way possible. You know, fear can sometimes be comfortable, but um, you, you don't want it to be comfortable. You, you want to make sure that you're making the right decision because you don't want 60 years from now, you're like, oh man, <laughs> should have done that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, so we've spoken a little bit about messaging. We've spoken a little bit about um you know, a actions that you can take in terms of flagging media that you've seen. Um, what other steps can we take on an interpersonal level to combat misinformation with our community members? Shishi, why don't, why don't you start? Sure. Um, I think for AAPI members, I think a huge factor is the language barrier, right? They're not consuming a lot of news straight from the source because um, because again, all the news that they're reading has already been trans, uh, has already been translated and filtered for them. So, um, one thing, my media company, XYZ Media, we focus on a lot of stories that are often overlooked by mainstream media. We've been partnering up with, um, Asian American Journalism Association, along with other various grassroots organizations to make sure that the words are being translated correctly and members of our community can read the news for what it is without any bias filter, without any opinions being peppered in because I think the consumption of news is really so 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 important and I just I really want to remind everyone out there you know because we do live in the age of social media to be a little conscious of the news that they're consuming through social media because a lot of content creators and people out there are, you know, this is a business and sometimes being the, they prioritize being the first to deliver something or being the first to deliver something of shock value over, you know, is this true? Is this factual? Is what I'm saying real? Right. So there's, unfortunately, I do have to, there are some people out there and including organizations who do just want to um, provide the shock value, get the like, get the comment, get the conversation going because it's controversial, get the internet lit as opposed to uh, 
being responsible about the type of information that they're putting out there. So I do want consumers and readers and all our viewers to be more aware of that. And to me, I think misinformation conversations start at home. You know, similar to Vanessa, I have family members texting me all day long <laughs> during a call, during a shoot, you know, sending me crazy graphics. And I used to just ignore it because I thought I was so busy and, you know, this isn't serious. But throughout 2020, I was able to see how they felt isolated. And the more isolated they felt like they didn't have anyone to have a real conversation with, the more they got sucked in. So I do think conversations start at home. Vanessa, have you got anything else to add? Yeah, um, I know Gigi covered it, but I just want to add that it's important for all of us to understand that we all have influence, no matter no matter how micro it is, we all have influence over somebody else, over an issue. And, you know, the point is not to win an argument, the point is to save a life. And so understand that when you are having these conversations, they're never going to get it right then and there. Like, you know, it's very hard to change someone's mind or person want to do something in five minutes or less um and so continue that conversation don't just have it one day you know two days later you check up on them and so on and so forth and so um i think it's important that number one we do have these conversations they start at home they start with our friends we talk things through and then number two it's like find a trusted source um especially for the black community there is a lot of distrust with the government and so it's important to say well if you don't believe you know, your local, your mayor or the president or your senator, then who do you believe in? Like, how can that person have an impactful conversation with you? And so people like celebrities, LeBron James, Beyonce, and so on and so forth, even um, influencers on YouTube, Twitter, they all have influence and they're all able to um, convince us of things. And sometimes that's a double-edged sword. And so I'm always like, if you won't believe um, President Biden, if you won't believe, you know, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, like, will you believe this person? Um, will you believe, you know, this YouTuber? Um, but it's important that if you're listening to those um, micro influencers and content creators, that they're also backed by accredited people. And so if they're doing a program with the CDC or, you know, some other health organization, the WHO, whatever it is, it's important that you see those things together. So you have that trusted face, you have that trusted voice, but then you also have the subject matter expert there as well, because you don't like, you don't want, um, you don't want to be led astray because there are lots of people and lots of opinions. There's more opinions on the internet than facts. Um, but you always want to, you always want to make sure that if you're taking information, you're taking it in from a trusted source and a reputable source. This is open to both of you. What other steps can we take as individuals or as a community to combat, to combat misinformation impacting black and brown communities online? Yeah, one thing that I will say, again, goes back to influences, think about what role you may have played or what role you're currently playing or what role, what role you will play in spreading misinformation. There's a common thing that I see on Twitter that says, you know, retweets are not endorsements. Um, so I retweet it, you know, is that a conversation worth having in the first place? Like if you're going to retweet it, are you quote tweeting it to tell people how that's wrong? Um, you know, if you, it's kind of like, if you see something, say something. And so sometimes there's like, oh, it's social media. Nobody will believe that and nobody, but it's like, no, it's not about, like I said, it's not about winning an argument. It's literally about saving someone's life because the person that's spreading that misinformation may not get hurt, but you don't know who their audience is and you don't know how far they will take it. And you don't know that maybe that was, they are that person's trusted source and look at them now they've caught COVID. Um, and so I always say, 
number one, before we point fingers at everybody else, point the finger directly to yourself and say, what have I done today to spread misinformation? And what have I done today to provide, you know, resources and, and, and the truth, essentially? I love that, Vanessa. That is so powerful. <laughs> and to add on to what you're saying, um, I, I think words have so much power. Words truly do. We have to be careful how we explain things to people. We have to know when to speak up, even to our friends, because let's be real here. I'm sure we all have. We all know someone who is not vaccinated, won't be vaccinated anytime soon, and still does not believe in the vaccine. I even know people who still doesn't believe that COVID is anything different from a regular flu. So I think, um, you know, uh, instead of looking at it like we really have to combat misinformation on a large scale for every single individual watching this right now, you know, let's be a little mindful about the information that we are allowing into our mind. Let's fact check everything, do as much resource as possible. Um, only you can make the proper decision for yourself, but let's at least get the conversation started amongst your friends, amongst your family members. You know, people always say don't talk politics during the holidays I for one love going there <laughs> because to me you know we just we can't avoid these topics it's embedded into our daily lives right everywhere we turn everywhere we go we, we cannot continue to operate as such a divided country yeah. we have to start bridging the gap and to me it really starts at home Particularly with healthcare, because healthcare shouldn't really be political it's about looking after ourselves isn't it I completely agree yes. Well, thank you so much, ladies. We have had an incredible discussion. I cannot wait to write up these takeaways and get them out into the world as well. Uh, is there anything else that either of you wants to say before we say goodbye? Thank you so much for giving us this platform. And, you know, if you have any more questions about, you know, COVID-19, if you're one of the people that are hesitant, you know, go to covidnomore.org. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Claire, for the amazing work the Webby Awards is doing. And Vanessa, you are incredible. I love hearing about your story and your work. Thank with you so much, Yeah. <laughs> this was great. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this special episode featuring our Unpack series. Shishi and Vanessa are doing very important work to inform and protect AAPI and Black communities, and thanks to Claire Graves for holding a great conversation. We'll include links to their work and NAACP's COVID No More campaign in the show notes. And please stay tuned for our next event in the Unpack series, which will tackle algorithmic bias. For more information about the Webby Awards, please visit us at webbyawards.com or on most social platforms at The Webby Awards. If you like our podcast, we'd be so grateful if you took a moment to give us a rating or review. Our producer is Kate Mishkin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Our assistant producer is Haley Lewis. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is our Webby president. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is The Webby Podcast. <laughs>